Cody, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be on here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, it's funny as I feel like I, I know you quite a bit after having gone through the N1 courses that you guys offer recently, but at the same time, feel like I don't know you at all, like from like a, your background, where you're from, how you got into the industry. And so give everybody a little bit of rundown. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm really originally from Arizona, started getting into fitness kind of like as a side thing while I was going through university. Um, actually got like kind of an internship doing some online fitness stuff, uh, got into project management for that. And then once I graduated, I kind of went into that full time running everything from marketing, uh, helping with site development, uh, fitness PDFs, like doing all of the back end marketing stuff. Uh, and then started kind of slowly as I was learning more uh, and getting mentored a bit, moving to the more of the front end, actually doing the coaching, writing the programs for the sites and all that kind of stuff. Um, so but we've, uh, we started N1 a little bit over three years ago. I've been doing that with, uh, coaches Kasim and Adam ever since. Um, and I'm kind of doing the same stuff, running the projects, but I'm also doing, you know, online coaching, uh, now starting to get into the teaching side of things, some a part of the courses, and then obviously the practicals and stuff that we do in person. Awesome. Awesome. Did you start from a, at any point, like having your hands on, like as a personal trainer, or was it like I started on the back end and acquiring knowledge and education and doing a lot of the marketing side of things, or was it like I had, you know, full book. I know, I think Kasim has a, had a background was doing like a lot of that. Did you come mm -hmm. from a personal training background at all as well? No, I actually did not. I actually didn't have in-person clients until after I had, I'd already been doing online coaching for probably two or three years. Um, mainly just because most of my time was consumed with running the online stuff. So I just didn't have the time, but I always had that kind of hands-on experience whenever we would do like live events which obviously not, not as frequent as being a personal trainer, but I would get to see and work with, you know, up to 20, sometimes 30 people over the course of a weekend, different body type structures, uh, learned habits and all kinds of stuff. So it was just a different learning experience. Um, but I think having both was definitely helpful. Yeah. I think we, I think everybody would agree that I think the more traditional route is the in-person to the online coach. And then it's like, you know, there's a lot of talk about all the skills that you bring with you from working with people in person, how that can translate really well to online when you're not there. I agree with that a ton. I think that that train of that, that line of progression really does make sense to me. But I also I'm interested in how you might say that having the inverse path maybe allowed you to kind of work more on the front end on the knowledge acquisition. I think a lot of trainers get stuck almost in, in when they're working with people, there's like an, a sense of, and maybe this is my own experience, but there's a sense of oversimplification to the point where like we don't, we work with regular people, quote unquote, all the time that we end up not pursuing greater knowledge in certain things. Cause I, I this is, I, I'm just, we almost don't believe that the people we're working with are capable of like comprehending slash applying some of those things. I think sometimes coaches get like they're 10 years into personal training. I'll speak for myself. I was probably five to seven years into personal training thinking I knew it all because I was working with people who I knew a lot more than, and it wasn't bothering to go further into my education to learn. And so do you feel like that you got a lot of the, that work on the front end and kind of built that foundation? Yeah. I mean, I was always around people that had such a vastly superior knowledge base to where I currently was that I'm like, I'm always looking like how far ahead I need to go. I'm like, I have such a long way to go. I'm just like, give me all the information. What do I need to know? Like, who do I need to get it from? Um, and that's never, and that just never really stopped. Um, cause I was never in a situation where it was like, I was the smartest guy in the room all the time. I always had like five other people that I'm like, no, they know way more than I do go ask them. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm, my goal is to become one of those people. Right. Obviously. Um, but yeah, it was just, I was never in the situation where 
it was easy. It was never easy to be content with where I was because I could see, you know, right down the hall, there's so much more stuff I can learn. So, yeah, agreed. And, and at some point you're, you never really want to be that guy who's the smartest person in the room, but you're kind of pursuing, like moving up that chain a little bit. And there's something to be said about that and then disseminating that information down and helping people who were once in your position for sure. Cool. Mm-hmm. So before we kick things off, I always like to tell the listener like why I decided to have you on. I just think that there's an infinite amount of people. And there's like a, every time, you know, when I ask even you or yourself or other people who come on, like, who should I have on? There's a C. I have a list of, you know, 100 plus people that I would want to get on the podcast. Like, why? Why are you on that list? And why did we get you on? And so, you know, I get asked every single week when I do a Q&A, what certifications, where can I go to, you know, push myself further education? And right now, just and one, I'm not saying it's the only place that anybody can go to get any information that you guys are up on some pedestal, but like you guys are really pushing the industry in terms of making people think. And when it comes to recommending people in a direction, oftentimes I'm like, hey, get on their member site, go take the biomechanics course. Like you're going to learn a ton. Um, and so I really appreciate what you guys are doing, really pushing the industry to think. And we said this a little bit off, uh, um, off air before we started. Is I, I asked you what you wanted to talk about today and because I've gone through all the N1 courses and because like I have my own view of like what I'm now excited about these days, I was I had a feeling that you were going to want to talk about certain things and you ended up not saying any of those things and I'm actually extremely excited because some of these topics are going to, you know, I think anybody who's familiar with what you guys do thinks like, all right, I'm having Cody on N1, super smart dude, we're going to talk biomechanics, we're going to talk like length tension relationship, we're going to talk like superset ordering, we're going to talk about all this super intense periodization, like you didn't say much of that, which I'm very excited about because I know that you could talk about that. But like, I actually, you know, for, for we'll just like talk talk now. Like the discussion we're gonna have today is more gonna be about setting goals, expectation management, accepting flexibility, learning how to actually like adhere to the plan, dealing with like, you know, the more quote unquote Gen Pop person who's like really just trying to get where they want to go. And so I'm very excited to hear your perspective on that. So awesome. Yeah, and I think the the good thing too, especially that we can get into a little bit is a lot of this goal setting stuff isn't just from a client perspective, but from you as a coach, especially like we talked about trying to acquire that knowledge. It's like, what expectations should you have for yourself on what you can learn, how fast you can learn it, how well you're going to be able to apply it right away, how long it's going to take you to actually master certain concepts, um, which is something I've run into um, with some of the type of coaching I do is actually working with coaches and helping mentor them in an aspect, in a certain way. So. And let's stay on that for because I do I do want to move to the client side of things. But as a coach, I do resonate with what you just said, having gone through the courses and having all this new knowledge. And there is a bit of a gap between having the knowledge and applying the knowledge, um, especially because eventually you have to apply it to somebody else who's also has to do their part and execute on it. And so there is another even another step to that. But I find that there's an element of like, OK, I read this. I understand it. And then. I not only need to be able to explain it and to convince somebody to get buy-in, but I also need to start to be like, I I don't, me personally, and maybe other coaches listening, like, I don't just want to have knowledge. If someone's like, hey, why are we doing this exercise? Like, cool, I want to be able to answer you, but I also want to have so much knowledge that I want to be able to critically think through problems based on the knowledge that I have. And so if we talk specifically about biomechanics for one second, like, I want to be able to look at somebody doing an exercise in the gym and be like, oh, they could be doing this better or if they're targeting this or if they're doing, I want to be able to see through that lens. And I think you're kind of saying your expectation of how long it's going to take to kind of master something. I really think of that mastery, that place I want to go, whatever thing I'm studying is I want to be able to critical think outside of like what I've been taught. I want to take what I've been taught and be able to apply to a case study that has a lot of moving parts. And I think that that, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the expectation of how long that that actually takes. 
Yeah, I mean, so some of it, especially from like the the visual aspect, um, where it's like you can just look at someone and be like, oh, they need to change this, this, and this. It's like that's what we call like Jedi Master level biomechanics. It's so I can look at you and tell you what's going on. Whereas you know, sometimes it might be as you're learning it, you have to go off with some of their feedback. If you can't visually tell right away something's off, you have to get feed like does something feel like? And, and again, sensation isn't the best thing, but it's like is there something, are we getting something going on with what we're trying to do? Cause it's like, if we're doing one exercise and something else is like, Oh, I'm, you know, trying to do a chest press. And it's like, you know, my wrist hurts. I'm like, all right, well, something's probably not right then. Cause we're not trying to train your wrist right now. Um, so you need some feedback. Um, but part of it will be getting really good with understanding kind of not necessarily just the, the anatomy as, as looking, well, understanding the anatomy, but understanding how it's going to look slightly, slightly different on different people, right? So some people might have a slightly, you know, you can't be like, oh, that needs to be 45 degrees for whatever press we're doing. It's like, well, maybe this person because of their sternum and rib cage and whatever have you, it's like, maybe they need to be out a little more, in a little more, whatever. It's, you have to understand the principles of the anatomy or whatever, and be able to map that onto someone. And that's where working with a lot of different body types is very helpful. So it might take longer if you're only working with a handful of people in person to be able to start picking that up quicker as you do it with new people. Whereas like we talked about earlier, is like, I was fortunate enough to like, we were going through 20 people at once over three days. And it's like, you have to, you can see and compare like real time. And it's like, oh, well their arm paths are all slightly different, but we're actually training, like it's lined up correctly for that muscle and on these three different people. Um, so that's just going to take more repetition than anything, you know, pardon the pun, um, across multiple people. Um, so that's probably going to be, I would say the, the most determining factor on how long that type of stuff will take when it comes to the programming. Similar thing is like, sometimes you just need someone to look it over for you. Cause it's hard for you to evaluate yourself. If you don't know what, if you're doing anything wrong or what that might be. Um, so that's where, you know, having a coach or a mentor or someone who has a little more experience in that can, review and look at you and look at your programming or whatever. And then as you start to understand what they're looking for and the principles they're using to evaluate it, and that's what we really focus on in the courses, what are the principles you need to know, then it becomes much faster to start, you know, ripping these programs out and it doesn't take you three days to write a program. Yeah. Agreed. Let's move on to, to setting goals and, and you use the word setting reasonable goals. And I think that there's uh, that is the operant word that probably needs defining. Like what, what is reasonable and how does our inability to set, I would use, let's say appropriate, reasonable, appropriate, maybe synonymously. Mm -hmm. How does our inability to set appropriate goals kind of, kind of get in our way of getting what we want, at least maybe in the time frame that we want it. Yeah. So I think the first thing to be able to set a reasonable or appropriate goal is you have to have a certain baseline of knowledge to be able to know what is appropriate for you. Um, so someone who's, let's say completely new to fitness, and they just like, they have to pull a number out of the air because they don't have any idea. They're like, oh, I want to lose a pound a week for the next 12 weeks. It's like, well, your 10% body fat, is that reasonable? Probably not. If you're 50% body fat, maybe that's more reasonable. So there is a, there is a, a required level of knowledge that goes along with that um, and self-awareness, obviously. Um, so I think the biggest problem with people setting goals that are unreasonable is just not understanding what is achievable. And then they set themselves up for failure. Um, and then it becomes kind of a, a self-filling prophecy of like, they, they get down on themselves because they didn't achieve it. 
So, you know, maybe they, they set another goal and they fail again. And it just becomes this like negative mental loop of like, Oh, I, I suck at everything. I keep failing on everything. It's like, well, maybe you made it halfway to this goal that you set. You still made it halfway towards this unreasonable goal. But if you'd set your goal over here, you achieved it. If that makes sense. So it's like you still made progress. It's just understanding how much progress within the time frame and the resources you have is again, realistic. Um, so yeah, some, sometimes that's again, where having someone help you set your goal, especially in, in a fitness world with a little more knowledge can be very helpful. I think that the, and you can attest to this is like one of the most common scenarios where this happens is where a client will assume that they're losing weight too slowly. And there's just no, well, you'll ask them how fast they think they should be losing. Whatever comes out of their mouth, you'll say, where, well, where did you come up with that? And most people just pull it out of their ass. And yep. it's something that they saw somebody else do. Like you said, it's somebody that just either doesn't apply to you from a an archetype. They are not anything like you. They don't have the genetics like you. They don't have a lifestyle like you. And so I think that comparison, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on the podcast of like the the how it's likely that comparison is just counterproductive. Um, but there is, it's so common when I'll be doing a check-in with somebody and we'll be looking at, let's say their rate of fat loss over the last eight weeks or so. And they think it's not great. It's very slow, but they're not understanding what slow or not slow objectively, while it might be subjective technically, or at least objectively a range would be. And so if we're looking at like, I don't know, half a percent body weight to a percent of body weight per week, like, um, most people are actually doing pretty well and they're assuming it's supposedly, you know, supposedly going to be closer to that 1%, which is actually really fast. Um, if someone's like, oh, I'm down six pounds in whatever, nine weeks or whatever, it's it's your gap between the expectation of reality that decides how happy you are. And so a lot of times it's like, there, there's this expectation of I should have been down this much, but I'm only down this much. When in reality, like it's that gap of where you think you're supposed to be and where you are that determines like how content you are with what you've done. And if we can just kind of bring that expectation down and reframe and give you a new perspective of how great you're actually doing, most people, like you said, even if you had sh shot for 10 pounds over the course of this deficit and you hit six, like viewing that as like, okay, less of a success, but still really good success instead of, uh, I, you know, I fucked up and I got to start over and do a new thing and try this new style of dieting. And so... At some point, it's about, you know, recognizing and having somebody in your corner who can reframe what those expectations should be. And it kind of goes back to just having that education that you talked about. Like most people don't know. You don't know. And so what ends up happening is you are comparing yourself to like the two people who won a 12-week challenge by some influencer who did uh, with a million followers, like who picked the two most ridiculous transformations. You're like, you know what? And compared to those people, yep. this sucks. And it's like, okay, compared to this like potentially uh, fake transformation or at the very least like an anomaly transformation like okay mm -hmm. maybe this seems low but it's about choosing and having that like right picture or more objective picture painted yeah yeah that's definitely well and the other thing too is like when people pick a number they're not considering all the factors that go into that number so if they say like oh i want to lose five pounds it's like all right well i can get you to drop five pounds of water like that but are you talking five pounds of fat because that's a that's a whole different thing right or it's like they see their weight fluctuate it's like well you're not losing and gaining fat when your weight fluctuates it's like there's water there's you know bowel volume like did you poop today because that's gonna affect it like how much food did you have like hydration like all these things go into the number and again that's where the knowledge comes in it's like they don't know what that no number actually means or what it's comprised of so when it's not moving the direction they want they freak out because they think it's only this one thing that's changing it's like no there's like six so that's where we got to back them out. And I love your example of the marketing thing. Cause that's one of my biggest pet peeves about people setting their expectations is they base it on those 12 week challenges or the 
magazine transformations or whatever. And it's like, they picked like three people out of 3000 that just happened to respond really well. Gave up <laughs> and their now entire they're life. And now you think that's the baseline. You yeah. think that's how everyone responds. Is yeah. like, no, those are the freaks. Yeah. If that's actually how it turned out. So, you know. yeah, agreed. And we're, we're, we're looking at setting goals that are appropriate for ourselves. You mentioned self-awareness. How does that come into play when it comes into like, okay, I'm choosing a goal. Maybe it's, maybe that goal is a rate of progress or an end goal. Like how does that self-awareness come into play? Uh, so I think part of that has to do with, uh, I mean, personality is probably the closest term I can think of is like, how willing are you to stick to a plan, evaluate it, almost become a little bit robotic. If you have a goal that you're setting a very high bar for yourself, um, you know, you have this, you know, beach body transformation you want to get to It's like, all right, are you prepared for the level of diligence and effort that goes into your workouts that goes into sticking to your, you know, meal plans, preparing your meals, like being able to be a little bit flexible. If your day doesn't go the way you want it to, are you still going to get your workout in? Or are you just gonna be like, Oh, the whole day is shot. I'm done. I skip it. So you have to, you have to know yourself well enough to be like, can I actually stick to the level of work that needs to be done to achieve this? Yeah. You, you, you could even say, I just first need to know what it takes to achieve this. And then, mm -hmm. and then I need to look exactly. back and say, can I actually freaking do this? Like realistically. And I think that that's a, you know, whatever, that's why people hire a coach. It's like, here's the goal I have. I'm like, okay, a lot of, a lot of, I, I'm not sure who said this, but I'm not going to give myself full credit, but like sometimes as a coach, like you're just the vehicle. And so if somebody comes to you and, and they have a certain goal, it's like, my job is to tell you what it's going to take what it's gonna to cost to do that and to show you all the ways that we can go about making it easier and give you strategies and tips and guidance. And of course, I am the vehicle, I'm gonna help you with that. Um, but sometimes it's just giving the client the under, an understanding of what that thing is going to cost and then helping them, you know, m m let's say you're doing like a more, more motivational interviewing technique to kind of have, help them talk through whether or not they really think they're capable of doing that. And sometimes I'll have it weird, not weird, but like I, I maybe uh, um, just, a, a situation where a client will have a certain goal and the best thing I can actually do for them is to help make them realize that they aren't actually willing to work for that thing. You'll be happier taking a step back from your massive goal that you really can't can't attain or, or at this time in your life can't make the sacrifices for. And it might sound like settling, but you'll be happier realizing, okay, maybe living my life at 6% body fat is unrealistic. And the pursuit of continuing to do that is just going to lead me to feel, you know, not content and upset. And if I could just take a small step back and make a more, again, appropriate goal, then I would live a happier life. Yeah. Or even just telling them like, we can do that, but not right now. Right. So I've had that with people's or, or we even talk about this in uh, some of our video videos on the training site is like, you know, this person comes in, they want to lose body fat and all these things. It's like, okay, well you have no sense of how to track meals. Your sleep is garbage. Your energy is garbage. You've been basically starving yourself for however long it's like, we have a whole bunch of stuff we need to correct and prepare you for the success to be able to lose fat healthy and quickly rather than just, Oh, we'll just, you know, smash you with, you know, you know, six hours of cardio a day and drop your food even lower and all this other stuff that's going to make you worse off long-term. It's like, like you said, we need to take some steps back, prepare you, and then when everything's golden, then we put our foot on the gas and it's like, all right, now we can actually maybe achieve what you're looking for in 12 weeks, but we're going to have to push it back to do all this other stuff first. Yeah. Agreed. Let's talk about, let's talk about flexibility. How much flexibility is a, a good thing and you know, how each extreme might not be optimal and so obviously somewhere in the middle, but how much, how much flexibility is a good thing when people talk about flexibility being important, you need to be flexible. It's like, okay, but, but like how flexible and, and, and how does that come into play? 
Yeah. So again, I think this comes back a lot to like the, the psychology aspect and your personality is like, can you be okay with, you know, understanding that, you know, I take this cheat meal, it's not going to affect my long-term goal, but if I do it every week, it's going to slow my progress down and not stressing out of, you know, Oh, I had to work late. I couldn't work out today. Not a big deal. I'll get it in tomorrow versus having like a breakdown and freaking out. And then you just overstress yourself and actually make yourself worse off from what you thinking about what you did or didn't do than the impact of actually doing or not doing it. Um, so I think that's part of where the flexibility comes in is being okay with flexibility. So that's more of the, uh, the personality side. Um, but understanding that there does need to be uh, a certain degree of rigidity to stick to your, to your goals, to make that reasonable process. And I think that kind of comes down to like, um, I like, I like the Pareto principle of the 80, 20, but I think it's a little bit more than that in fitness. Um, so it's not necessarily like 20% of your efforts give you 80% of your results. I think maybe it's closer to like 40 or 50, um, as far as the nutrition and training stuff. And then, you know, all the other little things like the supplementation and the, you know, exact meal timing and the, the macro distributions and all that kind of stuff. That's what makes up that other like 20 to 30% of the results that you're going to see. So it's like, how fast are you willing to accept your results? It's like, would I rather be happier and more relaxed and get there a little bit slower? Or am I okay pushing myself a little bit on the rigidity side of things and maybe getting there a little bit faster? It's like, how much is that worth to you from a mental aspect? Yeah. And I think when we talk about flexibility, we have to think about how or how much flexibility you can have in a program and still attain your goals has to, and this is going to something that I ranted on yesterday. It's like, depends on how ambitious your goals are, number one, what your starting place is. And so if you're like, if we're talking about, there's a famous influencer who I, influencers, I fucking hate that word, but it's somebody I love to death. Awesome. But he's not, he's not famous, but you know, maybe every three months we'll post something like, I'd rather you be 80% on your nutrition so that you can still live your life than hundred percent where you're probably going to burn out. And I understand the sentiment. And I think that there are a certain group of people out there that are very all or nothing and that cannot accept any amount of flexibility. And at the first glance of, going off plan, let's say there's just like a complete fuck it mode and, and, and total unraveling and snowball effect. But I also think that, you know, there's a larger group of people out there who don't need to hear that they need more flexibility to, to reach their goal. And I, do, I am not being some form, like some consistency Nazi here saying you can never have a day off your calories. But I think that there are a lot of people who are not reaching their goals because they're just thinking in their head, oh, 80-20, And that 20%, and the analogy I like to give is like, imagine you're digging a hole and at the bottom of that hole is your goal. And you're like, okay, 80% of the time, I'm going to do really great. And I'm going to keep digging. And it's going to go really well. But 20% of the time, you're just kicking more fucking dirt back into the hole. And for some people, that 20% is, uh, you know, I went a couple hundred cal calories over, or I missed a workout, or I didn't complete a workout, or whatever. I had a little bit too much to drink. But for a lot of people, that 20% where somebody's like, oh, 20%, that means like, okay, one day a week or one and a half days a week. I don't need to be on my plan. Most people are kicking so much fucking dirt back in the hole in that 20% that they're just digging in the same spot for a really, really long time. And they don't, a lot of people don't need to hear that they need more flexibility. Now, I would agree. Yes, there is this like, it, it, uh, uh, the attempt at perfection can definitely backfire for a lot of people. But I also think, and maybe you can talk about this, is like something I find very important to frame for clients is like, depending on what your goal is, there's going to be a certain amount of your habits that are foundational. They are consistent throughout you know, what phase you're in of nutrition or phase of training, but there are going to be certain trade-offs that are specific to the goal that you have that you do not have to have forever. You don't have to make the trade-offs that you need to make at 16 to maintain 1600 calories 
at 2300 calories. And so if you have a fat loss goal, sometimes this idea of like being 80% is like, why not be, you know, closer to that 90, 95% because you don't have to make these trade-offs forever. You have to make them long enough to achieve the goal. And there's a different set of trade-offs that you'll have to make at maintenance, but those are a whole lot easier. And so that was a big rant on flexibility, but I just think the amount of flexibility that you're going to have in your plan has to do with where you are, how ambitious your goals are, and whether or not this idea of more flexibility has actually served you in the past, and maybe you'd be better going closer up to that, you know, turning that knob up to 90, 95%, getting it the fuck over with, and then moving to a place where maybe you can afford to be at 80% at maintenance when you're not necessarily pushing any adaptation too much. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, some of that's going to depend on like what your starting point is and like how close you are to those goals. So like you have someone who's going from, you know, a guy who wants to go from 20% down to 16% body fat. It's like, all right, we can probably afford a little more flexibility than if you're at 12% and we're trying to take you at 8%. It's like, you're going to have to make some more sacrifices to achieve that because it's just physiologically more challenging, probably, uh, depending on, you know, how your body has its set type and all that other kind of stuff. Um, same thing for muscle building, obviously the closer you are to whatever that, whatever that arbitrary genetic potential is that you have, the closer you are, the slower the rate of gain is going to be, the harder it's going to be to, you know, add and maintain that muscle tissue. So you just have to be prepared for that. And, you know, don't assume that your newbie gains are going to, you know, carry across, you know, linearly across your entire training career. So, yeah, agreed. I think that that's, I take on clients that come across that whole spectrum, people who have never lifted a weight and people who are in the middle of, you know, they've lifted, but maybe never with a ton of structure. And then people who are like looking to really dot every I cross every T and it's like, well, there's going to be a difference in like the ROI of your actions. And there's going to be, you know, if we look at the pyramid of things you have to do, like the more ambitious your goal and the further, the closer you are, you already are to that goal, the further up that pyramid, the stuff that we're going to have to do, like calories, protein, sleep are going to have to be a given for somebody who's trying to get on stage. We're looking at, now we're looking at like, you know, meal timing, supplementation and stuff like that, trying to get every single thing. So you really do need to understand like how close you are to my, to your goal and what, what is it going to take to get there? And am I, again, it goes, just goes back to expectations. It's like, am I actually willing to and I give this example all the time. It's like, if you walk into Best Buy and you walk by a really, really nice TV, it's a nice, you know, with the fucking gecko, it looks like it's like real life. And it, and you're like, wow, that, I would really love that TV. And then you see that it's $5,000. Like you don't leave the store thinking about that TV ever again, because you're like that TV and the cost doesn't match up for me. I don't want it. You don't think about it. You don't dream about it. You but all the time we have these goals that just like, if you thought for a second, what is the cost? If you wrote out what it would cost, the level of consistency, the trade-offs, you'd look at that and you'd be like, fuck that. I don't want to pay that. And you would go on living a happier life. You wouldn't think about it. You wouldn't dream about it. Cause you know, at this stage in your life, you're, I don't want to make those trade-offs. And just, it's unfortunate that we, there's that, that there's that disconnect, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's turn the page here and in the in the in the spirit of the podcast where optimal meets practical i think i think n1 right now or at least we can break down the name an n of one approach meaning kind of treating everybody as an individual as a, as as you know not necessarily giving everybody the same blanket approach like i think that you guys discuss a lot and i don't want to i want to phrase this correctly because i don't i think you guys would agree with what i'm about to say but very much on the front lines of the pursuit of optimality you guys are the pursuit of nuance an end of one approach and it and it can be sometimes this this misconstrued maybe as like overcomplicating things and so i think i I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about the the diminishing returns of of complexity this idea that at some point this pursuit of optimality has diminishing returns and potentially reaches a point of of counterproductivity mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that comes right back to what we just said is like, what is, what is the point that you're no longer willing to pay for that incremental benefit? Um, 
So, you know, if it takes 50% more effort to only get 2% better from where you are now, maybe that's not worth it to you. You know, I mean, if you're obviously a professional getting paid millions of dollars to get 2% better every year and step on stage, then maybe that's worth it. Um, but for most of us, probably not um, because, you know, just the mental effort and drain uh, from possibly other things that could be giving you more joy in your life might not balance out. Um, you know, for the example I give is like people obsessing over execution. It's like, if you, just because you don't execute that rep 100% correctly, doesn't mean it's a wash. You still get something out of it. Now, if you're training like a jackass, maybe that isn't worth it because you're going to end up hurting yourself. And then maybe you're like, oh shit, why'd I do that? So it's finding that balance of like, if I can get this rep 90%, yeah, I'll work on getting the extra 10%, but I'm not going to obsess and like beat myself up about it because, you know, oh, you know, my, my hip shifted a little bit when I was, I don't even know, doing a lunge or something, you know, something that's not going to, you know, cripple you obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of, part of what we're trying to do is we're going way down the rabbit hole, trying to figure out what all those like ridiculously complex little, you know, pieces of information are, and then boil it down and back it up to figure out like, at what point is this actually relevant for you? Right. So that's why we have, we have our courses in a specific order. It's one, two, three, you need to start at one before you go to three. Um, because we're, we're starting at, you know, what's the base stuff that everyone can use the biggest bang for your buck stuff. Um, that's going to help you get results right away, get your clients results right away. Um, and then we start kind of start going down the rabbit hole of complexity. We even do this within the courses, like the program design stuff. We start big picture. It's like, all right, we have three different, you know, categories or phases of training. So we have metabolic and hypertrophy and neurological. And then within that, okay, now we have the different stimuli and how do they work and how do we make different programming adjustments? And then we like, just keep going down the rabbit hole. And it's like, you can, you can stop at a certain point and still get a lot done, but adding those levels of complexity just gives you more tools to be more efficient down the road. You don't have to learn everything right off the bat to be able to write a decent program, but you will get better at writing them faster at writing them, progressing them, individualizing them as you understand the, the more minute details. Um, so that's, that's what we are trying to do is like, how do we, how do we simplify it? Give you the key points. And then when you're ready for it, we're trying to spoon, spoon feed you the more advanced stuff to like, take you down the rabbit hole. Um, but you know, obviously not trying to, it, it does feel like a fire hose. I'm sure you can attest when you start diving into the courses, it's like, there's so much here and you're going to have to watch them multiple times, but you, you'll probably agree with this. It's like, every time you watch a video again, you get something else out of it. Oh yeah. So. I, I mean, I watched the bio, I just finished the, my second round through the biomechanics one. So I'm, I'm very much aware of the, I, I was, I finished the second one and then it was like, you know, before I moved to the third one, I want to just go back and do the first one again. So watch it again, like over the course of the last couple of weeks, but yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm not saying you guys don't do a good enough job of, of this, but I think it, 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 you guys are open that it is, we are in, the, we are the ones diving down the rabbit hole and we're going to be throwing shit back up here for you guys to disseminate further down the line. But I also, it's nice to hear you say that like, hey, like we're, we, we know that this isn't, we know that like, you know, and, and I can pick out like the supplement lecture for each stimuli. I remember thinking to myself like, holy crap, the supplement changes based on the stimuli here. It's like we, like you guys know, it's nice to hear you say it, that there is a diminishing return and that we're not, 
just because we will post things or 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 focus on things that might be further along up that pyramid of importance let's say doesn't mean that we're saying these things are the most important things it's just we are doing this job and it's it's, it's almost like you know just understanding where you kind of are in the the information dissemination chain and so my question to you is like how do you communicate that to a client who's coming to you talking about something that is just so much higher up the hierarchy than the big rocks that they maybe don't have in place like i literally got a dm from a client asking, you know, almost like in an alarming way of like when she should be incorporating L-carnitine into her workout. And I was like, you sleep? I was like, you sleep four and a half hours a night, you know? And so, and, and so there's, and she, she won't mind me saying that because, you know, we had a good laugh about it, but like, how do you communicate that to a client who's coming to you with something that you're like, mm, we have a lot of other stuff to do first, or is it like, you know, because technically the, we have a lot of stuff to do first technically is an illogical argument because they're just not a mutually exclusive thing. You can't just, you know, it's not like we have to do this in a certain order, but how would you go about communicating that? Yeah. I would just say, I, if it comes to something like that, assuming, you know, depending on where they are, it's like, we have things that will give you a better return for your effort right now that we'll, we'll we're going to focus on first. Uh, it, I mean, in the case of some stuff like supplementation, I mean, if it's something useful, I won't necessarily tell them no. Uh, unless it's one of those people who is going to start to obsess over just collecting supplements. Cause I've had people like that. And those people I'll take the opposite approach. I'll be like, all right, we're going to cut you down to minimals. You're not allowed to take anything else for like two months. You'll be okay. I promise. And then we'll start adding things in. Um, but I think some, some of it, I think has to do with just the way people market some of the supplements is they promote them as like these magical things that are going to give you, you know, 10% extra muscle gain or something per month or whatever. And it's like, mm, no, not really, but that doesn't mean it's not helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I will back them down, uh, focusing on, you know, if you know, you're not sleeping or like you said, uh, or you're skipping meals or whatever, it's like, that's going to have like a hundred times more impact than whether you get two grams or three grams of L-carnitine, so. Yeah, I think that there's, if you, we know what I love doing is I love looking at like, whether it's your stuff or some of the RP guys or the 3DMJ guys, if you scroll through the comments, you'll, or like Chris Beardsley page or whatever, like you'll see inevitably people who are like, man, you guys are just overcomplicating stuff. You just like lift heavy, eat a bunch of food. Like, and like almost like what are the, what comes to mind? Like I could almost feel it in my bones when I read those comments, like what, what comes to mind when you see somebody who's like, you know, you guys are just overcomplicating things. It comes to mind that I see, you know, you can consider the millions of people that go to the gym regularly and try to train hard and eat lots of food and look the exact same year after year. I mean, if it was super, super simple, everyone would be jacked and tan by now, but apparently it's not. So, yeah. <laughs> and we keep learning that with, you know, all these, you know, you know, I hate to, sometimes I hate to use studies, but it's like you, you we learn new stuff all the time too. Um, both, you know, evidence-based, which is obviously more than just studies, but then, you know, things that we actually find in literature, whether that's, you know, minute details or meta meta analyses or whatever. It's like, we're always, we're always learning stuff. Um, you know, how useful some of that stuff is, is to be debatable sometimes, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice. And I think that's, it's a human nature thing is like, they want to oversimplify things like, oh, just do this. Oh, just take this pill. Oh, just do this exercise. Just do this uh, type of rep scheme or whatever. That's the magic thing. I mean, that's what fitness marketing has been for the last, whatever, 30 years. It's like, oh, just do this. It's like, well, they've all done that. And it's not a whole lot different in the community now. So we, did, we didn't get it all right. 
Um, so, I mean, that, that to me just seems like a very logical thing of like, well, if that was the case, why aren't we here? Um, so then that's, you know, why we started, you know, Gassim really wanted to dive into doing some of these courses and stuff. It's just there's stuff that's not offered out there and it's like, there's more to be learned. So we're going to have to do it yeah. or we're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And then again, we just kind of thinking of like, that's up to, that's up to the, the consumer to say how, how far up this ladder do I want to, to go and how, how down the rabbit hole do I want to go? And I think it is, um, it's important to understand as a consumer, as, a, as somebody who's on Instagram, who's again, finds themselves somewhere in the informational food chain to do, to really understand the, that the the risk reward or the 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 ratio of like return the the rate of returns on certain decisions and so you know it's not always up to the you know i find myself doing that a lot lately like uh if i'm if i'm on a zoom with a client we're going over technique stuff it's like well you know we're looking at this cross cable extension we're really trying to line it up with the path of the and it's like the minute i catch myself talking i'm like you know like this is cool and all like we're definitely gonna i definitely want to keep going with this but like i want you to know not just this information, but where this information falls on the food chain of importance and how big of a, like you said, if we can get it 90% correct, we're going to get, you know, again, like 90% of it. And ironically, I, for the first, like right when I got out of college and I got my first personal training job, I worked at very boutique, very small gym, uh, like family owned gym. And it was a very like, uh, it was not a big box gym. I wasn't around a lot of people. It was me, the owner and like two other trainers. And it was like, I was shut off to the world and I only learned things one way and I only saw this one gym and it wasn't a big box gym. There's only like five to 10 people there at any given time. And then I moved and I went into a big box gym and I started to see, and it almost counter to what you said, but there are people out there who are jacked doing just dumb as fuck stuff. Now, what I, what I started to think about is that like, you can still make great progress with, you know, very suboptimal habits and very suboptimal maybe lifting technique and training protocols and but that is still an illogical argument oh here's this person who's jacked oh here's this ibv pro who does this like the argument we really need to be saying is like this person would have gotten better gains if they were doing things the right way just because this guy is exactly. jacked does not mean that what he's doing is correct it means that what he's doing caused some adaptation in that direction that he wanted it and so i saw i see it all the time like this guy's fucking jacked and it's it, it, mind-blowing what's going on right now and it made me it made me um, t give, give me two feelings one i was very hopeful because it brought me back down to earth of like, you know, training hard, eating enough food, sleeping over a decade is going to get you somewhere, somewhere, but not, don't take that so far into forgetting that like, just because someone's jacked doesn't mean they wouldn't have gotten better gains. And I think that it's that exactly. acknowledgement that puts you guys at like the forefront right now of like, yeah, sure. You could do all these things. It's going to be fine. But here's this other stuff. If you want to get better progress that all the, these knobs, you can still turn. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like what, what the things we're teaching is if you're doing them, it's going to make you better regardless of what your genetics are, whether you're natural or not, how, how long you've been training or what goal you have. Better is better. It's going to get you there faster. You're probably going to be healthier. So why would you just discount it? Because, oh, I, I don't have to think about that. I can just pick it up, put it down, stuff food in my face, and I'll be fine. It's like, for now... Maybe, or, or maybe you want better than fine, you know, and maybe you want better than yeah. fine. Yeah. It's so or faster than what would have happened, yep. you know, or, or requiring less, maybe, you know, less effort, right? Maybe you don't have to try as hard at certain things, let's say, you know, because you're turning other knobs that have better ROIs. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Moving in last topic here. I want to talk about, we can get a little bit, I can let you bring the nerdy side out a little bit. 
Um, I want to talk about stimulus versus sensation. This idea, I guess we can say sensation slash mind-muscle connection. This understanding that these are different things and can be indicative of potentially helpful or harmful things. And so essentially, what's the difference and why does it matter? And what are some circumstances where this comes to light? Yeah. So we actually have three things there. So we have stimulus, we have sensation, and then I classify mind muscle connection as something completely different. Um, so stimulus is, it just simply means the thing that evokes an adaptation. So that is whatever stress that we're putting on our body through training, nutrition, whatever that gets it to change in some way, whether that's beneficial or not, uh, is depending on what you're doing. Um, perhaps sensation, tension, perhaps tension would have been a better word. Yeah. Tension versus sensation maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that works. Yeah. So, uh, so then tension, uh, is just, you know, obviously the, the actual, you know, force between the muscle fibers, uh, sensation is a nervous system thing. And then mind muscle connection is more of a control based nervous system thing. So usually the sensations we get are, um, they're sub they're, uh, they're not conscious. Like we don't consciously be like, Oh, I want to feel this. Whereas my muscle connection is I want to contract this contract. Right. So that's where I make that differentiation is like conscious versus subconscious, or I guess feedback would be a better way than subconscious. Um, so sensation is just a feedback from the nervous system. So chasing that, there's a lot of ways we can do that. Cause that, that, uh, you know, certain sensations we get are also used as like an alarm mechanism by our nervous system to be like, Hey, don't do that, not do this more. And I think that's what some people, you know, kind of confuse occasionally when they get, you know, uh, we, we use the term like a crampy sensation, uh, in a muscle tissue when you get it, you know, to some, you know, the joint integrity is compromised or a super short position or, uh, a, a position of like passive, uh, passive shortening, um, the nervous system will actually fire to feedback to your brain is like, Hey, I don't like it here. Get out of this. We're not safe. But people think, Oh, that means I'm feeling the muscle I'm training. So I should be feeling the muscle. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and sometimes that's obviously going to be counterproductive because most of those positions are actually positions that we are not able to create a lot of tension in. So it almost becomes inverse at a certain point. Um, and obviously if we're going for hypertrophy or, you know, even fat loss, metabolic output with skeletal tissue, tension is what we want. So we want tension. Um, and then, you know, mind muscle connection, just being the ability to, uh, contract tissues appropriately. Uh, or select more selectively, I guess. Um, but most of the time we don't even, if you're set up correctly, you don't necessarily have to be contracting because if you're trying to, you know, over intent the contraction to feel what you're trying to feel, where you want to feel it, you're probably not set up correctly. So it's, it's again, it, it's a useful tool, but you have to understand what you're trying to achieve with it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that the, the first thing we need to, like you had said, is just acknowledging that not all sensation is good sensation. Not all sensation is, oh, a ton of tension's moving through the muscle. I'm going to get the exact adaptation that I want. It's a, you know, people will say mind muscle connection and assume more the merrier. The more I'm feeling this, the better. And the less I'm feeling this, the worse. And that yep. is almost like, okay, the pursuit of feeling it more. And so, it's, you know, it's definitely something that I've changed my ways over. It's like, well, I'm not feeling this here. And it's like, and I want to pose this question to you before I steal it with a ramp. Like, how are we distinguishing or how might you go about at least the thought process of distinguishing between, hey, is this a sensation that I want or is this a sensation that is my my central nervous system telling me, oh, don't go here? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the easiest way to tell that is like how much 
force you're actually able to produce in that position. So oftentimes when you're, you know, chasing a sensation and you get into a point of like where the joint is compromised or you're passively shortened or something like that, the amount of force you're able to actually use or produce drops off precipitously as opposed to just being in the shortened position of a muscle. It's like, yeah, it's going to drop off a little bit, but it's not going to go like, oh, I can curl 30 pounds, 30 pounds, two and a half pounds. It doesn't, you know, so that's where we talk about using a, I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, but like the frog pump thing, it's like, you're getting into a point. It's like, have, I've never seen anyone actually load a frog pump with like actual weight, like maybe a pink dumbbell, but it's like, you're just, you're jamming a joint. You're, you can't really produce any force there because of the position, the joints in and the muscle tissues that's actually creating that motion. And it's not very strong. Um, so that's where we go to like, all right, we'll now go to a glute bridge. Oh, look, now you can use like 300 pounds. That seems a little bit different to me. So let's do the one that we can actually create some tension in rather than the one that just feels funny. Yeah. And I think that that's almost the opposite of what some people might think. Maybe not the opposite, but you might be like, wow, like I put myself in such a good position. I don't have to use as much weight on this frog pump. And it's like, well, that's a little bit different. It's like you literally cannot use, can't load this almost at all. There's just, you're not actually having, being able to put any tension through the muscle. And I think you might agree that sometimes you can, and, and this is where either just having the knowledge or having a coach. And this is what I, I was posed this question by a client of mine. It's like, when, how can I know? Or what's at least the first step to me knowing if I'm in a place where I'm getting, you know, a, a more productive sensation is like, let's look at your setup. And and I think that having an under, you know, again, having a basic understanding of the of biomechanics is either something you want to do or it's something you want to hire out, but you want to get somebody on your team, whether it's you or a coach who's going to be able to just be like, you know, and I said this, we, we, Lindsay and I talked about this when Lindsay was on the podcast, like, well, you know, if your setup is good, your execution is good, your tempo is good, your range of motion is good man, it's probably the case that the right muscles are firing in, in a way that's productive. Now it's obviously that, you know, we we have, we can look at it a little bit more, but like, I think that if you can get your setup right, execution, tempo, intent, technique, all of this stuff, range of motion, like it's a lot of things are going to take care of themselves. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and actually that's something we've kind of uh, adjusted slightly over, you know, probably the last year and a half is we used to like teach people how to do a bunch of like how to cue right? And we've essentially cut that almost completely out and gotten to like, oh, now that we're learning like what these end ranges and, you know, things actually should be, uh, as you probably saw, we kind of have been changing our arm paths on a lot of pressing and stuff like that. Once you set that up correctly, the amount of cues you have to use almost disappears unless they had some kind of, you know, preconceived bad habit or movement pattern in there. If you set someone up, their body is going to use the most mechanically advantageous tissue. So if you set it up for that's the tissue you're trying to train, set it up to be the, you know, the logical solution, so to speak, your nervous system is going to do the rest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you, you set, you set them up and, you know, unless they're feeling something some, somewhere completely different then maybe it is just, uh, you know, in their head thing, so to speak, where they're doing something intentionally, you're probably like 90% of the way there. Yeah, I, I think most people aren't have no have no actually don't actually have an idea of like what like I almost think you the cueing like you said is you almost don't have to rewrite people's cueing of what they're doing during the movement. You have to kind of uh, uh, like reset people from like a where they start and where they finish and go from here to here. And you're probably going to get a whole lot right. Most people aren't thinking okay, contract, push this tissue closer closer to this. They're not thinking 
about that. They have a preconceived notion of how to do something. And if you're just cha- you can change how they're doing it. Like you said, it does clean up a whole lot of that. I also think that mm-hmm. the, there's a, the pursuit of a mind muscle connection, the pursuit of more sensation usually leads people into way more shortened bias exercises of like, yeah, this, this exercise is better because I feel it more. And it's like, well, you're going to feel a glute bridge more than an RDL in your glutes. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting more, you know, hypertrophic adaptations. Let's say you're growing that muscle more, getting stronger metabolic adaptation, whatever you're after. Um, and I think maybe you could speak to that a little bit about why that might be the case. Yeah. So part of that comes down to understanding what's actually causing the sensation. So when you're in the short position, you have the actual like pressure of the tissue pushing out that's creating that sensation. Whereas when you're in the lengthened position, it's not necessarily creating that same outward pressure as it's, you know, lengthened tissue. So it's under, it doesn't mean that there's less tension in case, in often cases there might be more, um, but you just don't have the same type of sensation because of just, you know, the mechanics of the tissue and the, the fluid pressure and all the other kinds of things that are happening when you're shortening and lengthening muscle tissue. Um, so yeah, I've had that too, is like, well, you know, my leg extension feels like this. So how do I get it to feel like that at the bottom of a squat? And I'm just like, it won't happen. If it does, something's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on an hour here and I'll let you get out of here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, the websites are just n1.education, n1.training, no.coms. Um, uh, Instagram is exactly the same n1.training and n1.education. And, uh, mine is just CJ Moxley. Yeah, and by the way, for anybody who doesn't follow CJ, he's been putting out some really, really like literal stick figure anatomy and biomechanic stuff. That's like the easiest thing to digest ever. And when I saw it, I was like, I'm gonna copy this. This is the great. And I was like, I can't. It's it's original. It's really good. But it is it is. I mean, very, very, very helpful. And like you said, yes, people are gonna have different uh, you know structures, and there are gonna be different arm paths that are slight. But I think we would agree that if if you're getting it kind of close, then and even just as an educational tool of understanding yep. that there is a difference. Um, it's been super helpful. You got to keep doing those. They're awesome. All right. That's, those are actually the ones I've had the most feedback on. And it was kind of funny for me because it was like, I'm just going to do something overly simplified just for the fun of it. And it turns out to be like my best responded post of all time. And I'm like, well, shoot, I need to, I need to stop talking about program design, I guess, and talk (laughs) about, you know, calves and leg presses. No more graphs. We need, we need like little bar graphs of how much stimuli each muscle is yeah, with like a little so. stick figure guy. No, it was awesome. You're crushing it. It's awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you guys want to dive into that more, that's like just the uh, the tip of the iceberg for compared to the exercise library that's on the training site where we cover all that stuff. So. Yeah. Excellent. All right, my man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.